Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivrivani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by a longtime colleague, Dr. Shantanu Nandi. Dr. Nandi is the Chief Medical Officer at Accolade, which is a personalized health and benefit solution for employers, health plans, and their members. He's also a practicing physician and technologist with expertise blending medicine and innovation, along with deep knowledge of the healthcare industry and global health. And we first connected through the Human Diagnosis Project, of which he was involved for a couple of years. So Shantanu, it's so great to see you again. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see you. Excited to uh, have this chance to, to chat with your community. Likewise. And so, you know, I know a lot about you and your background, but our audience likes to hear in our guest's own words, how did you get interested in medicine? And then can you walk us through a bit of your career trajectory, blending both practice and now working one of the most successful healthcare companies? Yeah, sure. You know, I'm someone who my parents aren't doctors or anything like that. You know, uh, I was sick a lot as a kid, so I was definitely interested. But for me, my really formative experience was when I was in college, I used to spend my winter breaks. My family runs like a small nonprofit in India. And so I went to go teach English and all my students there to me, you know, as a 17 year old seemed really sick. And so I ended up starting a school-based healthcare program for this small school, just a few hundred kids. And over time with some support from my college, I ended up setting up a clinic. It was pretty magical for me. You know, this idea that doctors, you know, to see somebody for a few minutes can make them feel better, can solve their issues. And that was just deeply inspiring for me. So that that's how I ended up in medicine. And since then, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like I just love building stuff. You know, when I got to med school, actually my first week, it turned out that we accidentally gave a kid 10,000 times the dose of a medication. And I emailed somebody who turned out was like one of the C-level people in the hospital. And I realized, and I said, hey, I'm an engineer. I might be able to help you guys. <laughs> and next thing I knew, I was like in this room with like 30 suits you know, all the medical legal people were there and it was a root cause analysis team. And we ended up going to the pharmacy where this medication error happened. And what surprised me when I walked in is like tiny little pharmacy, everyone's like next to each other, like compounding medications for kids. And I was like, how do we not have more errors? And so I came up with like a simple type of bin system where like they had blue bins and I created red bins. And like, so that's kind of been my career, man, is it's just seeing just different challenges on healthcare delivery, trying to come up with different ways of, of sort of building things. And, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a good ride so far. Yeah, I actually didn't know either of those stories, which is interesting. <laughs> what, what got me interested in medicine in the first place was my dad is a physician and I used to follow him to the hospital where he worked in South Africa. And you're exactly right. Like, especially in these under-resourced areas, someone having what would be a very treatable illness here in the U.S. takes them out of society, out of school. And then the second one, that's really interesting. One of our guests coming up in a couple of weeks is Vivian Lee, who I'm sure you know from sure. Barely and sure. she also ran University of Utah. Her new book, The Long Fix, talks specifically about patient safety errors and medication errors. So I had no idea that that's what got you interested in, in applying technology to medicine. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm very impatient, basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> And so I'm curious, like you said, you were an engineer, you became a physician. I know you from the Human Diagnosis Project. Can you talk a bit about that experience and then your transition into Accolade? Yeah, no, the Human Diagnosis Project was a really different experience for me. You know, that was a much longer term fix that we were trying to do, right? So the problem we were trying to solve there was all these patients who you'd see that would kind of miraculously get these diagnoses, right? And you realize that the system's really haphazard. 
And part of the problem is that like every physician has seen different things and you may not just happen to see that one doctor who kind of saw the thing that you have, right? And that's why diagnostic error is a really big problem. And so the idea was really simple. It was like Wikipedia, but for medicine, it was like, could doctors contribute their expertise into a single system that would record effectively the cases that they had seen and diagnosed, but in a way that was ultimately searchable and accessible to anyone on earth, right? So that's why it was the human diagnosis project, a collection of doctors contributing their expertise for this greater project. And yeah, it was pretty wild. You know, we started, it was me and like four other people and we had no doctors, no community. And within a couple of years, we had over 10,000 doctors you know, spending time completely out of their own time to the system. And I think now they're well above 50,000 doctors approaching 100,000. And yeah, it was a pretty inspiring project to be a part of. Yeah, no, clearly that scale is impressive. And I'm curious, so, so Accolade, you know, I know a lot about it from just researching and, and the fact that you guys have been so successful lately, but what brought you to the company and what do you do day to day in your role as chief medical officer? Yeah, I think what really I fell in love with immediately was that we work through employers and we work through insurers, but ultimately day-to-day who we're solving for is patients, right? Like healthcare is so complex. And if you're just trying to figure out simple things like what doctor should I go see? Or do I really need this test? Or, hey, I just got this new diagnosis. What does it mean? One of the biggest problems that we don't talk about is people just oftentimes don't know what the next step is. And so they'll show up to the emergency room or they'll go see a specialist. And it's not because they're like trying to cheat the system or like they're not that smart or something like that. It's just that it's not clear what the next step is for them. And so Accolade Solution is really simple. It's like we give you one phone number or one mobile app and you can go to that for any health or benefits question at all. So if you have a bill that you don't understand, if you're just trying to find your insurance card, if you have a new diagnosis and you're overwhelmed or you're worried about a spouse issue, like it's just one phone number or one messaging platform to go to. And when you message or call, you get your own health assistant who picks up or responds, who has your health information and can kind of help you take that next step. So it was a really, I think, simple model. It felt a lot like primary care to me, you know, as a primary care doctor, like that's kind of what I'm aspiring to do is just be the first contact for my patients. But we were doing it, you know, at pretty considerable scale. When I joined the team, we had 1.5 million Americans that were helping. And now we're above 1.7 million and continuing to grow from there. So that was really, I love the model and this, the ability to scale was, was super exciting for me. So my role is, is, is kind of strange. You know, like, like they say, when you see a chief medical officer, you kind of, you see one, you see one. A lot of chief medical officers, their job is to sort of make sure everything has high clinical integrity and make sure that companies or organizations that are trying to do healthcare are doing it the right way. You have chief medical officers who do a lot of work optically. So they do a lot of, you know, talks and writing and papers. And then you have chief medical officers that spend a lot of time doing sort of a sales type function where their job is to help explain to the end customer that what they do is clinically sound. My role is really none of those. My role is primarily on the product and strategy team. So kind of building from my engineering background, Accolades had a great solution for 10 years, but my job is to really say, well, what's next? What else do we want to do to continue to help, you know, the members that we have? And so like, as an example of that, I've been spending most of my time since I joined the team building an integrated mental health solution. And that's something completely new for us. We're launching it with a major university hospital system whose healthcare workers are 
completely overstressed and dealing with tons of issues because they're obviously at the front lines of COVID. And so I get to build the new solutions that we take to our members and our customers around the country. I love the fact that you laid out what chief medical officers can do. I mean, we, you obviously know our chief medical officer at Osmosis, Dr. Yeah. Rishi Desai, who yeah, absolutely. Rishi probably, yeah, you probably met him back when he was at Khan Academy Health and Medicine. Then when he joined us, that's right. And I had never heard that. Like, you know, for a lot of the people who listen to the Osmosis Raise Line podcast, they're people who want to aspire to be like you, right? They they want to eventually be, you know, combine their clinical interests with, in your case, the engineering interests and then the business interests. That's the first time I've actually heard that breakdown of what chief medical officers could be doing. Very cool that you're being able to, to bring back your engineering side and also collaborating with this university health system. You know, you mentioned burnout and mental health. Obviously, this is a, a major issue, has been a major issue even before COVID, but COVID's accelerated some of that. Can you talk a bit about, you know, what are some of the changes that you think will have to happen to the healthcare system moving forward, both for that issue as well as as a result of COVID? It's a, it's a great question. There's a few different ways of answering it. And I think within the medical profession, when you talk about burnout, I think the, the biggest problem is healthcare has gotten in the way of medicine. That's kind of the simplest way I think about it. And if I think about the moments in medicine that kind of renew my purpose for why I'm there, really, it's just spending time with patients. Like, that's the part that we all kind of love. And I think that there's too much. We talk a lot about the electronic medical record. We talk about documentation, but really the simple idea is we just need to give doctors more time with patients. And funny enough for patients, what they need more than anything else is to spend more time with their doctors. And I think that's really core. And, and for people that are in training, you know, I used to say that it's interesting. You always think that later in life, you can kind of go back and do things later. But I actually think that when you're a med student or you're a resident, that's a really special time to just sit in patients' rooms. Like I actually, this is back in the day before electronic health records, I used to take the patient charts and I used to chart in the patient room. And my colleagues would laugh at me. Like I'd literally sit there with like my like leg like this. I'd have like the big patient binder on my legs, right? And I would just be like sitting there and the patient would be like watching TV. Occasionally we would talk to each other, but I would just, I spent so much time in my patient's rooms and what that allowed me to do as someone who grew up pretty nerdy was I learned how to talk to like lots of different people to the point where when I was a resident, I only had 20 minutes. And when I was an attending and I only had five or 10, that I was still able to build that connection with people because I spent so much time just learning how to be around different types of people. And that renews me in healthcare because I can't control as an individual doctor, at least the amount of time I have with my patients, but the quality of that time I'm able to, to get to a pretty great experience for both of us in a pretty short amount of time, I think. And then you were asking about COVID. There's a lot that COVID is changing. I, I think I would sort of share a, a very optimistic message, which is that, you know, clearly it's been a global tragedy, still is. We're losing lots of patients, lots of healthcare workers. I think there's a really bright side of the story too within healthcare. The silver lining is that healthcare has been turned on its head and that we have begun to simplify a lot of these things, virtual care clearly being one of them. I do hope that that's actually going to create an entree for us to revisit a lot of this stuff, right? Like I can just log on and see my patient. They can just log on and see me without a lot of the rigmarole. It's easier for them to kind of follow up with me a week later or a day later. A lot of my, I have a clinic cell phone for the first time. Like I have my patients like texting me on my clinic cell phone. I think there's a lot of good that's coming out of this. We just have to continue to build on the sort of groundswell of change that we've seen in the past several months. 
Yeah, I mean, well, going back to what you were saying about mental health and burnout and how basically doctors want to spend more time with their patients, patients yeah. want to spend more time with their doctors. That's actually really good advice for the medical students in our community and, and other health professional students is to do what you were saying. I don't know if they can bring their computers into the waiting room, but that that's really interesting. And it's hopefully something that some people who listen to this will take away. As far as long-term changes for COVID, I mean, I guess one thing I'm always inspired by is people who maintain their practice while serving these other roles. And so can you talk a bit about your practice and, and kind of how often you see patients and what you get out of that? I'm, I'm reminded when you were just talking about that of another Raise Line guest who, who I know you know, Dr. Sachin Jain, who talks about how his best ideas for Care More or Scan Health Plan, where he is now, come from those interactions with patients. And do you have any examples of that going into your product development at Accolade? Sure. Well, first of all, I always say that in this house where I am right now, there's only one doctor, and that's my wife. She does it six days a week. She gets up every day during the pandemic or not, puts on her scrubs, goes to the hospital, and she stays there until the last patient there. And I don't consider myself a real doctor. She's a real doctor. The people that do it every day are the real doctors. And I live on borrowed time. So I get a chance to see patients every week on Fridays. I protect it fiercely. I work at a really cool little safety net clinic here in the outskirts of DC. So I'm like 83% uninsured. It's primary care, but I just do adults because I'm an internist and I love it. I, I really love the time I spend there, but I don't know if I can share insights for how to sustainably be a doctor who loves their job every day because I don't consider myself to be one of those people. Certainly for my work though, you're right that it's like, you know, like Sachin and others, it is extremely valuable for me to continue to stay grounded. Again, it just focuses on just the really simple problems that I think get in the way, right, of care. You know, like the things like, it's just hard to schedule an appointment. It's hard to know if you're supposed to go back. It's hard if you need a refill. Like it's really the simple things. I think we focus on these really complicated things like, okay, you have social determinants of health and you have health beliefs and all these things and they're all true and they're all important. But what I found, for example, during COVID, as my clinic went all virtual, my no-show rate, because I take care of some of the poorest people in Northern Virginia, my no-show rate went from like 20 something percent to zero, like literally zero, right? And these people, their social barriers didn't go away. Their health beliefs didn't go away. All their different social terms didn't go away. It was just, they didn't have to take a day off of work or find childcare to see me, right? And so I just kind of focus on those kinds of things is really thinking when I'm in clinic, like what's the root cause here and what's a really scalable solution to this problem? So we've heard a lot about the changes that not only individuals, but organizations have made as a result of COVID and whether they're COVID tailwinds in the case of companies like Zoom, which have seen incredible tailwinds, or if they're headwinds in the case of companies like Airbnb that have seen a lot of revenue dip. Can you comment on any headwinds or tailwinds that Accolade has faced? Yeah, absolutely. So at its core, you know, Accolade is a virtual service. Like we have virtual health assistants, virtual nurses. And so like many other virtual services, like those you mentioned, we've seen tremendous increase, you know, in the volume that we've, we've had, particularly around concerns around COVID-19 and symptoms of viral syndrome. I think the other piece though, which is even bigger, is we've seen this incredible acceleration of virtual care. And even more than that, what I call distributed care, right? So it's not just that you're seeing your doctor virtually through a computer or through your phone, you're actually getting tested like 
in the community at a lab testing facility or maybe at home, you have a blood pressure machine that you're now checking yourself on, something that my clinic's done to distribute those things. And that's really exciting, but it's also actually increased the need for services like Accolade because the downside of virtual care and distributed care is actually increased fragmentation, right? So whereas before you'd go to one doctor, that doctor would be your urgent care doctor, your primary care doctor, your chronic disease doctor, you would get your measure your own blood pressure there, you would get your labs there, your follow-up there. Now where we're going is that these things will actually be increasingly distributed to different sites of care and different service providers. And so that actually increases the fragmentation, increases the complexity, which then drives a greater need for services like Accolade who can stitch those different pieces together and really create that holistic experience for you. And so I think we're seeing a short-term bump in people's need for service, but we're also thinking there's a major strategic shift as well that's going to further increase demand for services like ours that piece it all together. That's a really good way to put it. I mean, Sachin Jain also mentioned that one of his worries was the increased fragmentation of healthcare, especially as these direct-to-consumer and retail companies get into healthcare and the loss of like knowing who your patient is, right? Like, yes. you know, because they, they see, you know, 15 different providers in the course of a year and there's no care coordination. So it's kind of cool that Accolade is serving that role to help coordinate that access. Yeah, totally. And I think that's that's one of the key points I try to make to people is the cat's out of the bag and it's a good thing, right? Like we got to remember that 15 to 20% of working Americans don't have a primary care doctor. And that's not just those that don't have insurance, right? And most of us that have doctors know that the experience isn't the way we remember it to be like Marcus Welby or like, right? And so I think there's a mistake when people notice these gaps, like the fragmentation, they think, well, we got to just go back to the single system on a hill that's going to take care of everything for you. Maybe there's a small percent of people that makes sense for, right? You got to tailor it to the population, maybe people with multiple chronic conditions, older who have preferences. But for the vast majority of us, right, it's a question of how do you just move forward more? And how do you really take that end user design perspective rather than it's like, oh, well, that thing's not working. Well, let's turn around. And I think Oftentimes we grandfather the failures that are in the existing system. And so when we look at something new, we say, oh, well, that thing has issues. Let's not do that. And you're like, well, that other thing has issues too. The question is, what's the way forward, right? Where's the middle road, the middle way? And I think physicians, med students, you know, those of us that have a chance to spend time with patients and really understand the system deeply and understand human beings deeply, I think we're incredibly well positioned to help lead that transformation and to help find that middle ground that we so desperately need. That's actually a good segue into one of my last two questions, which is, you know, given that our audience is primarily current and future healthcare professionals, and you are a healthcare professional, what advice would you give them about meeting the challenges of the COVID pandemic and and beyond? Well, first of all, super excited that you guys are entering this amazing profession. You know, it's given me more personally than I could ever possibly give back. And I think my biggest two advice maybe is one is there's a time and a place for everything in your career. And I think learning the basics of basic science, you know, learning, you know, how to take a history from a patient, how to build trust with families. Those are really special moments. And I think as sort of an eager beaver, I was always trying to do the next thing and the next thing. And I think I wish I had gone back and really taken advantage of what medical training was at that moment in my training. That makes sense. And then the other one is a little bit counter to that, which is, you know, you do have to find the thing that, that fire, that spark for you, right? Like for me, it might be building some stuff, whatever it is for you, 
and finding outlets to carry that through. I used to be much more cynical. My biggest advice to med students, I'd say, like, what's my biggest advice? Should I study this? Should I do this? Should I do this for a day? So my biggest advice is don't change. Because for most people who go through traumatic school and training, they actually lose that spark. They lose the joy. They lose the purpose. And you have it right now. And you have to find a way to kind of continue to renew that energy that you have. Because on the other side, when you have time and you have the expertise, like the world needs you. That's some really excellent advice. And then is there anything else you'd like to be able to share with our audience while we have you on the podcast? Yeah, I think the only other thing I'd say is that embrace change. Like, I think that be curious. Like, I think that healthcare is changing underneath our feet. And I think that training is always going to be one, two, three, four, five steps behind. But like, try things out. Like, try seeing a virtual doctor. Try some of these, you know, self-tracking tools. Like, try to just experiment with these different things and get much more exposure and develop your own perspectives and opinions on all the changes that are happening in healthcare. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great point as well, because I think that's where creativity comes from, right? Is being able to combine things you've seen in different contexts into one cohesive story, as you've done both as an engineer and a physician, and also now a chief medical officer of Accolade. So Chantanu, with that, I'd really like to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Sure. No, my pleasure. And congrats to you and the team and, and really thankful for the opportunity to chat with your community. Awesome. And with that, I'm Shivaglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.